What was the first item ever dispensed from a vending machine? Hmm. And why was the first traffic light a disaster for the police who operated it? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, Take a side road to sanity with some fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Tantalizing. Well, why was the first traffic light a disaster for the police who operated it, Marcia? They were colorblind? No. <laughs> that would be bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, they hadn't figured out the red, green, yellow idea yet? They did not have that it yet, was, This no. was a stoplight or a stop sign? Traffic light. Traffic light. Yes. All right, well... This is in 1868, so this is a long time this is, ago. What is this, for horses? It was for traffic. Yes, traffic of horses. Well, they had, um, tell me. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were coming up with something clever there. I, I had something clever, but okay. I've moved on. Well, according to Smithsonian Magazine, here's the problem. It was powered by gas, and it exploded. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. The world's first traffic light was erected outside the House of Parliament in London in 1868, a way to ease congestion and protect pedestrians, right? Uh-huh. It was operated by hand by a police officer. Oh, so they had to have one there. Yeah. Why didn't he just stand in the middle of the road and... Well, they didn't want to do that. They wanted a gas lamp with two red outstretched arms that rose when the traffic should stop and fell when the traffic was free to flow. Okay. Well, it didn't last long because in January 1869, a leaky gas pipe filled the lamp's tower and caused an explosion... Oh, Lord. ...which injured the police officer operating it. Oh. So the world's first traffic light in Intended to reduce accidents, ended up causing, causing one him. instead. <laughs> Jeez, and I, I hope he lived. I think he did. Don't no. know that. They okay. did retire the traffic light, though. 45 years later was oh, when yeah? the first electric yeah. traffic light was installed. But it wasn't in England. Where was that? Where was the first electric traffic light installed? It America. Was, it was in the United States. In what city? What city? city? It was New York City. It was not New it York City. It was Boston. It was not Boston. It was Washington, D.C. No, it was not, Marcia. It was Chicago. No. Milwaukee. I could have given you a Choices. clue, but no, never mind. <laughs> the answer is Cleveland. Uh-huh. I thought so. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Cleveland in 1914. The traffic signals did return to London in 1925. They were still operated by policemen in 1925. Okay. They went to their first automated signal in 1926. But the very first traffic light, a gas-operated thing, blew up. It was a disaster in England in 1868. All right. Okay, Bob. I'll give you more information, but I want to hear your first guess. Okay. okay? What was the first item ever dispensed from a vending machine? Hmm, I think a stick of Wrigley Spearmint gum. Oh, that's a good guess. Was that it? Uh, not in the first century, no. Oh, <laughs> is this something that was edible? Well, no, I, uh, it could be ingested, could be. I think. But who, who I, came up with this? Well, that's where I'm going, Bob. A Greek engineer and mathematician named Hero Alexandria. Oh, it's Hero Sandwiches. That's it, the Hero Sandwiches. He was from, no? 
He dispensed hero so sandwiches. Simple, Bob. Oh, sorry. He created a machine that accepted a coin and actually dispensed something mm. back in the first century in Greece. What do you think it was? Cigarettes. I don't know. <laughs> cigarettes. Did they smoke cigarettes back in ancient no, Greece? No, I don't know what they pencils. did. Pencils. They had needed pencils. Yeah. No. You'll to... never guess this. Okay. Holy water. <laughs> You're kidding. You had to buy holy yes, water? Yes, yes. He created a machine that accepted a coin and dispensed holy water. Oh, dear. The vending machine was located at all the local temples where people worship. Of course. <laughs> Great distributorship there. <laughs> and the device helped to ensure that people were not taking more than their fair share of the holy water. Apparently, that was a deal. And don't tell me the mob had a cut of every vending Absolutely machine. Absolutely, <laughs> they did. They, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> that's a chortle. Anyway, that's definitely the invention of necessity. Wow. So the yeah. first vending machine dispensed holy, holy water, water yeah. for a coin. Yeah, you know, the plebeians over there, George, are kind of taking too much holy water. Can we do something oh about that? Oh, my God. Regulate the <laughs> flow of holy water. Yeah. Okay. All, All right. right. Well, Marcia, this is also ancient history. What well-known places in Ireland and France are named after and were colonized by Vikings? These are well-known places in Ireland and France. We're calling, I got a Viking question, too. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's Viking Day here at the off-ramp. <laughs> Let's start with Ireland. Okay. What city in Ireland was founded by the Vikings? Dublin. How did you know? I just guessed. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ireland had many wealthy monasteries when the Vikings first arrived, and they would raid or trade with those uh, monasteries. Uh -huh. And around 840 AD, they established a year-round settlement in what is now modern-day Dublin. And it was apparently a base they used to raid the inland settlements and obtain timber. And eventually, over the centuries, they formed alliances and fought battles and established the Kingdom of Dublin. And the city of Dublin became a strategic Viking trading port, one of the longest-lasting Viking settlements outside of Scandinavia. Huh. All right, now France. What in France is oh. named after and was settled by the Vikings? I'm from France. Mm -hmm. um, that is your home country, <laughs> or one of your home countries. It was uh, uh, Nice? No, I was going to give you a hint if you oh, want one. Oh, please. It was the site of a great invasion during World War II. Oh, well, that would be, you know. You know? The one that everybody knows. Yep, the one everybody Normandy? knows. Normandy? That's right, Normandy. <laughs> it's named for the Vikings, who pillaged, plundered, and settled there <laughs> from 1790 on. The Latin name for the Vikings was not money. Do you know what that meant? Not money. No, the men of the north is what it meant. Oh, okay. And eventually, not money became Normandy. But did you know the Vikings made it to Paris eventually? Uh, they don't seem to fit in to, with wine and cheese, do they? <laughs> a Danish Viking expedition sailed up the Seine River to raid and occupy Paris in 845 A.D. Not Vikings, they just really got around, didn't they? always raiding little guys. Okay, Bob, why did those wacky Vikings wear those iconic horned headdresses we always see depicted? Did they actually wear those horned headdresses is my question. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> they didn't. There's a lot of theories where it came from, but... Uh, I think it came from an opera, didn't they? Isn't that yeah, where that came from? A Wagnerian. A Wagnerian opera? Wagner? Absolutely. Okay. It did. So yeah. it was a culture heist. I guess the clothes dresser in that opera was a the little costumer. over the top. The costumer in that opera was a little over the top. Let's put <laughs> horns on these guys. But that was never in the actual no, artifacts. Okay. But uh, the the football team seems to embrace it. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Okay, this is a food question. The name Wiener Schnitzel. Ah. 
Wiener Schnitzel uses the German word for which nation's capital? For which nation? It's not a German nation? No, it's not a German nation. And it's a capital? Capital of a German neighborhood uh, country. Okay, I will say Vienna Schnitzel. That's right, Vienna Schnitzel. Wiener Schnitzel borrows its name from Vienna, Austria, a thin breaded veal cutlet. Wiener Schnitzel is German for Vienna cutlet. I'll be darned. So that's what Wiener Schnitzel means, Vienna cutlet. Okay, ready? Yes. This is from In the News. Okay. My, my new category. I was just in the first century with vending machines, and now I'm in the news. Who or what, Bob, is stealing surfboards from people surfing in Santa Cruz, California? What? Somebody <laughs> or something is yeah. stealing? Yeah. So who or what? Yeah. What must mean it's an animal. Maybe a dog? That makes sense. Or dolphins, maybe? You're getting a little closer. Okay, what's the answer? Okay. It's an otter. Oh, okay. <laughs> and not just any otter. It's a female pregnant otter. Oh, dear. Who likes to take a few bites out of your board. She jumps up uh, the surfer's board while they're surfing and, uh, you know, that knocks them off and then starts munching on the board. Oh, dear. You know, uh, it could be better if she was craving pickles during this time. <laughs> but people, authorities warn this is not cute. They could start chewing on you and do not uh, take a liking to them too much. And they, they're trying to capture her and put her somewhere safe because she's becoming a big hazard. That's interesting. Yeah. Animals have strange things they do, don't they? Yeah. Obviously, she's a little off base right now with her hormonal hormonal <laughs> problems <laughs> okay i have a question for you now this is a famous folk singer this folk singer had a mother who was anglo-scottish and a mexican father who was a physics professor joan bias how did you know that well i was trying to think of someone who that's a- that's it that's you got that wow that just is an odd question i thought for sure you'd never get that yeah she was I'm born, an odd person she was well that's true <laughs> she was born on staten island but her father's appointments took her to paris rome switzerland and baghdad he was a physics professor no kidding yeah interesting woman okay i've got another pop singer who's related to somebody famous all right why famous pop and rock singer had a grandfather who won a Nobel Prize in physics. The hint is this person recently died. This woman recently died. Oh, it was a woman. Yeah, her grandfather won a Nobel Prize in physics. She dropped out of school to be an entertainer. Really? Yeah. Well, you certainly got my curiosity up Another clue, she was in some movies. She was in a movie with John Travolta, famous film. Oh, oh, it was, uh, what's her name? Yeah. That's who it was, Marsh. Yeah, ding, bl- ding, 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 ding. The blonde, and everybody loved her. I bet you did too, didn't you? She had three names. Yeah. Uh, oh. Olivia Newton John. That's it. I can pull it up when I have to. <laughs> her grandfather was Nobel Prize winning German physicist Max Born. And if you look at him, he won like four or five huge international wow. titles and awards. Wow. Her father, Olivia Newton-John's father, wanted to be an opera singer, but he yielded to family pressure to become a professor. He collected thousands of records, though, from Chopin to Tennessee Ernie Ford, and that's what hooked her on music. She became a high school dropout. She quit school at age 15, but her grandfather was a Nobel Prize-winning German physicist, Olivia Newton-John. Okay, Bob, here's an interesting question. What's the most expensive human-made object in history? The most expensive human-made object? Mm -hmm. I would assume it would be one of the uh, rockets that took the uh, astronauts to the moon. That cost billions of dollars, probably. Mm -hmm. No. No? Mm -mm. Wait a minute. Let me see. Categories. It wasn't food. No. Was it something that was manufactured in a factory? 
Well, parts of it. Parts of it. Was it a transportation item? Yeah, it's the International Space Station. Okay, well, I was close. Yeah, you were curling around the edges So that is the most expensive human-made object in history? $100 billion. Wow. It launched in 1998 after more than a decade of careful and often difficult planning. The station is a collaboration between five space agencies from, can you name the countries? That would be the United States, Russia, Japan, or... Yes, yeah, Japan. So that's three. I got three. France, maybe? Uh, combine that with uh, Frank- Germany. Franco-German. And you get, uh, okay. it's Europe. Okay. Oh, okay. And Canada. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, those were the five. And it was $100 billion. $100 billion. Most expensive human-made thing in history wow. so far. Okay. So far. Well, we'll, until, we'll, we'll. until the next Star Wars movies come out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay, Marsha, I have a food question for you, and this is something you like a lot. Okay. I'm going to ask you what food was introduced to help a country establish a new national identity. I'll tell you this happened in the 1930s, during the Great Depression. Okay. Geez, that's a, it's a country, a whole country. A whole country was identified with a food. It wasn't the Wiener Schnitzel, No, it wasn't Wiener Schnitzel. (laughs) And they did two things that year. They changed the name of their country, and they had a contest and came up with this food item. They changed the name of their country. Was it French toast, scotch egg, Danish pastry, or pad thai? (laughs) Uh, Pad thai? It's pad thai. It was for Thailand. Yes. Because they were called before that. Siam. That's right. Yeah. And who af- was the king of Siam? Ewell Brenner? Well, that's <laughs> that, that's in the movies and the, in the, the uh, king and I. stage. But after helping to end Siam's absolute monarchy, the new prime minister of Siam, Luang Phibong Sugram, mm-hmm. he took steps in the 1930s to modernize and unite his country. And among other things, the government decided to rename the country of Siam. They named it Thailand, and they held a food competition for a new Thai national dish. And the contest was intended to encourage Thais to move away from rice as their primary food staple because they wanted to be able to sell more rice stocks as exports to help the country out of the Great Depression. Weird, huh? So So, they went to noodles and pad thai. Yeah, so pad thai, a stir-fry noodle recipe won. My favorite Thai food, yeah. And guess what? Chinese immigrants who came to Thailand introduced that, and then it's been adapted using local ingredients. And then that became quickly a symbol of Thai identity, pad thai. Well, then the Japanese invaded Thailand, and eating pad thai became a patriotic act in itself, symbol of resistance to colonial powers. But after the war, what did the government do to promote pad thai? This is interesting. They really took an active role in after this. After the... The Second World War. What did they do to promote it? Well, they bought up all the noodles franchises and... <laughs> there were no noodle franchises back then, Really? Marcia. I didn't know that. No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, I don't know. The Public Welfare Department launched a campaign to teach and sell pad thai across the country. They took street vendors and trained them to make the dish using standard recipes and ingredients, and pad thai became a popular street food, and then it eventually became a staple in Thai restaurants around the world. I'm getting hungry. I love that stuff. Okay. It's, you know, and they adapt that to all kinds of regional taste preferences. Some pad thai dishes include tofu, chicken, or shrimp, and others might use different vegetables or spices. What's your favorite? It's usually uh, chicken. Chicken, okay. No tofu. That ain't going to (laughs) happen. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. So that's a food that was introduced by a government to help the country establish a new national identity. Yeah. Okay, I have a quick question before we go to break. Okay. What's the first city in the world to reach a population of one million people? 
I thought it was London, England,、mm-hmm. but I bet it was Beijing, China, or、mm-hmm. some other country. Con- Wait a minute, something in the ancient world. Yeah, a million people. One thirty-three BC. Well, I would think it would be China or India somewhere. No,、nope, no.、Nope. All right, where、Neither. is it? Rome, Italy. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, Rome, first one to reach a million people. In when? One thirty-three BC. Holy cow! <laughs> Hard to think about that, isn't it? Just think of the sewage problems you'd have with a million people. <laughs> well, they were busy with viaducts and stuff, as I recall. <laughs> they were good engineers. They handled all that stuff, didn't they? Yeah, handled yeah. it well. Material handling. And they had little Roman skid steers. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer. Yes, we like to entertain you with colorful features, boomer history, and brain fog. But we also tell you about serious stuff, such as the amount of money taken in from property taxes continues to rise. The actual percentage allocated to senior centers is declining. We search all week for news boomers need to know and make it available to you on OK Boomer. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. OK Boomer. Okay, we're back. You're listening to the Off Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station. After that, we put it on podcast platforms, and it's distributed around the world. So, Marcia, what's your next question? Why is money, Bob, often called dough? I、hmm. don't have any dough in my wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Where does that come well, from? Is it related to it being associated with food in some fashion? Indeed. Okay. Okay. So money was related to dough because it was traded in in exchange for things at one point. I don't have any dough, so I didn't have any food in order to trade with you.、Hmm, Sorta, of, not really, but just buy and sell. Actually, around the mid 1800s, British schoolboys would often spend their pocket money on sweets or baked dough from the pastry shop. Okay. When their allowance ran out, they would ask their folks for more dough money. Oh. Does that make sense? I,、yeah. I I want more dough money. Soon the words became interchangeable, and money became just dough. I didn't know that's where it came from. Yeah,、huh. dough money. Another food question. They originated in China, but Europeans thought they came from Iran. Were they apples, plantains, peaches, papaya, or pineapple? What did the English and the French and the Germans all think came from Iran, but they actually came from China originally? I'll say peaches. That's it. Boy,、yeah. I'm guessing good today. And you talk about going back in time. Peaches have been cultivated in China for at least eight thousand years. No kidding. That's amazing. That's a lot of peaches. Holy cannoli! The fruit made its way to Persia, a region of Iran where it flourished. And ancient Romans believed Persians were the ones who created them, so they called them Persicum or Persian apples. But they came originally peaches from China. Okay, Bob. Fifty percent of American kids today wear braces.、Hmm. That's hard to. It, why is it 50%. so? Fifty percent. Yeah. So why is it so commonplace now? Why are teeth so crooked? <laughs> yeah,、uh, I mean it's just commonplace. So many kids have them. I would imagine some of it is just the fact that people want cosmetic perfection if possible, so that's available. And and it's it's interesting because they have you know not just the metal but like those ones I've used before, those, those plastic, plastic see through. Yeah. yeah, those are great. People don't even、It、know you have them on. It is easier to do, but why? I don't know why. Well, according to HistoryFacts.com, the advent of agriculture changed the human diet, which led to a smaller jaw. At around 10,000 BC, our hunter-gatherer predecessors chowed on much tougher food and much bigger, stronger jaws they had to have to get through it. 
But over time, agriculture brought softer foods, a more gentle way of eating. You didn't have to rip everything apart. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so we still had 32 teeth, but they didn't fit quite so comfortably into a smaller jaw. And our jaws kept getting smaller. And teeth have gotten smaller, but they're much slower to downsize. So what's the reason again? Our teeth are too crowded in our mouth. Our jaws have gotten smaller than the good old days when we were hunter-gatherers. So this, we haven't evolved properly. That's right. This is history.com, Bob. Oh, I know they get into dentistry there. That's interesting. <laughs> history.com and your dentist says, brought you that information. Yeah, that <laughs> anyway, the answer is agriculture is the reason that we have uh, so many kids with braces. Wow, that is really a stretch, isn't I, it? I thought so. That's why it's here. <laughs> okay, I'm glad to finally get to that answer. <laughs> I didn't know where we were going there. Marcia, how did the feet of ancient horses differ from the horses of today? Um, they were bigger. No. <laughs> I like the way you said that. No. Uh I they had more toes. They had more toes. Oh, really? Yeah. I did it again. How Bob. many toes do horses have now? I've never counted them. I'll yeah. say four. No, they have one toe. One toe. One toe encased in a hoof, in a hard hoof, oh. a hard shell hoof. Uh huh. But originally, horses once had hooved toes instead of a single hoof. They checked the hoof prints and foot bones of modern horses and compared them with fossil records. They found that ancient horses had four toes in front and three behind. A total of seven toes. These are all little toes. Yeah. Each was individually hooved in an underlying foot pad. So the foot pads, just think of your dog or something. They have little foot yeah, pads. Yeah, yeah. Well, horses had those, but originally had seven with toes in each one. So why did they evolve out? It was agriculture, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know why. I just thought I'd say that. <laughs> anyway, by contrast, modern equids, that's what they call horses, zebras, and asses, they have one toe, the leftover original third toe on each foot, and that toe is encased in a thick-walled hoof. So that's it. Instead of seven toes, each individually hooved, today's horses have one toe encased in a single hoof. And that's due to evolution. I don't think agriculture had anything to do with it. Oh, that's a curious evolutionary process. Let's reduce the toes on these animals. Well, there's a reason they didn't need them after a while, yeah, apparently. They I guess had so. toes in the back were to help be stable. It's yeah. interesting. Well, like, now, how did they get stable now? I, I don't know now. They, they can stand up on their own two feet, so to speak. Although they have four, don't they? Okay. <laughs> one more mouth question. Another mouth question. Oh, That's, my God. Okay, what is this one? What major event helped to normalize daily toothbrushing in the United States? A major event yeah. helped to normalize toothbrushing? Yeah. Was this a political event? In a manner of speaking. Was there an invention or something that came no, about? No. no, no. I'll tell you. When the boys marched off to World War II, the Army required them to brush their teeth every day because they couldn't afford for everybody to have toothaches and infections and everything while they're out on the battlefield. So uh, they got in the habit of doing it, and they brought that habit home with them. I'll be darned. And taught it to their family. So they that helped the uh, health of everybody. Yeah, yeah. Was I mean, that? Yeah. Who? It wasn't the single one, but it was a big thing in the United States. Isn't that, that and you think that's not that long ago. It no. took that long for us to come up with modern toothbrushing Every day. techniques? Yeah, some people would just do it here and there. Jeez, I don't know. That's strange. Okay. <laughs> think of all those people like kissing and everything in those 20s songs, and they weren't brushing their teeth. Oh, Lord. Well, you don't know that. Well, apparently it wasn't a big habit everybody had. <laughs> what you just told me. 
All right, Marsha, let's go back in time. What song and what group received the first gold record for more than one million copies of a disc? Group? What song and what group? Well, geez, that's not asking oh, too much. Oh, come on, Marsh. Okay, can you give me a decade? Yes, I'll give you the 40s. Okay. Early 40s. Okay, would it be like the Andrew sisters? No. Would it be like the Andrew brothers? <laughs> don't think so. It's a band. It's a, oh, uh, uh, da, 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 in the mood. Was it uh, him? You got the right Benny band. Benny Goodman? No, that's not Benny Goodman. Uh, Mitch, uh, no. Oh, uh, wait a second. Who was it? Uh, <laughs> da, 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 da. Boy, that's like a uh, salad da, da, soup da, da. of names there. Mitch, yeah. uh, no, it's no, not no. Mitch. It's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I know the song and I know the no, music. No, you don't know the song. The song is about a train. Chattanooga Choo Choo. That's it. That's the song by... Bye. Hold on. Da, 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 da. Glenn Miller, I'll That's give it, it to you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I know Glenn Miller. Yeah. We have his records. That was Lots 1942. RCA Victor sprayed a copy of the recording with gold paint and presented to the orchestra leader. Now, there were million sellers before, but the gold record tradition started with RCA and Glenn Miller. And Chattanooga Choo Choo was the song. Our son Benjamin, when he was five, Glenn Miller was one of his favorites. He liked In the Mood. Oh, absolutely yeah. he did. Interesting. Yeah, I loved it. Okay. I'm going to give you multiple choice here. Oh, thank you. Because you often give me that. Yes, I do. Okay. What is the most stolen food in the world? The most stolen food in the world? Yeah. Is it wine? Is it cheese? Nuts or meat? Mm. This is the world. Wine, cheese, nuts, or meat? I bet it's nuts. I bet more people steal nuts than anything else. Wrong. Okay. Then is it meat? No. Like hot dogs? No. Okay. Like I said, it's none of those. <laughs> it can't be wine, is it? No. Okay, so what was the other one? Cheese. No, it's not that. <laughs> People steal cheese more, more than, than anything, anything else? else in the world. No a, Time, a Time magazine survey reported that an estimated 90.6 million tons of cheese is stolen every year. Wow. That's 4% of the world's production. Is stolen? Yeah. And unlike other commonly shoplifted items, cheese is rarely protected with security tags, you know. Yeah, cheese, it's desired. It can be very expensive. It's small. And it's bacteria. You're stealing bacteria. Oh, my God. So the answer, Bob, is cheese. Wow. Who would have thought? Okay, Marcia, there are 143 million U.S. passports today. How many do you think there were in 1989? 1989? Yeah. I'll say 75 million. No. In 1989, there were only 7 million, wow. 7 million passports for a population of approximately 245 million people. In other words, 30 years ago, less than 3% of the U.S. population had passports. Today, 40% of people in the U.S. have passports. Wow. That's got to be higher than almost anywhere else in the world. I don't know. Isn't That's that amazing? Put on their traveling boots and got those passports. Wow, that is just incredible. What year did you get your first passport? Oh, gee, not until... 19, that was 1989, as a matter of fact. Yeah. That year. Wow. When did we go to Paris? Uh, 1998 we 20, went. So. Yeah. So, okay. Amazing. 40% of U.S. people today have passports. Only 3% had them 38 years ago. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up with a couple of quotes, Robert. First, I'll go to Buddha. Three things cannot be long hidden. The sun, the moon, and the truth. That's good. That's <laughs> very good. Nice? Yeah, it's and nice, um, elegant. On that subject, George Orwell. In times of deceit, 
telling the truth is a revolutionary act. It is yeah. a revolutionary act. <laughs> We've had portions of time recently we, where we telling have. the truth is revolutionary. <laughs> that's why I used it. Yes, it certainly seems that way. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Well, we would like to remind you we would love it if you would uh, rate and review us on the podcast platform on which you listen to our show. <laughs> and we would invite you to submit any questions if you'd like to to us. You can go to our website, theofframp.show, and scroll down to contact us. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.